Sports bettors, you need to download Sharps, the better social network. With Sharps mobile app, you can tell your friends bets with one click. See a bet you like? Just click the whale tail icon and boom, it will open in your corresponding sports book. Sharps securely connects to major sports books like FanDuel, MGM, Caesars, and more. So you can not only track your bets, but share your bets in creative ways. So gather the Degens, download Sharps for free, and join our fast-growing sports betting community. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ball and Breakfast podcast with Wayne. I'm Patrick. Uh, you know, if you're with us to start here on YouTube, subscribe. Uh, after you're done, like. You can also comment on anything that we cover here. Um, check out our new sponsors. We got the Sharps app. If you're into sports betting, there's now a social media site where you can kind of show off your bets, talk to people in the community. Um, really great app. Uh, Wayne's already on it and, you know, putting out his vibes and stuff. So, you know, go find him on there uh, at the Sharps app as well. Tight Nutrition's been with us for a while. Uh, 10% off all workout products. Uh, give those a look too. Uh, use our promo code for that discount. And uh, yeah, no, it's all good. So um, with tonight's show, we are going to do some baseball. Um, it's been a while since the playoffs and, you know, the conclusion of the World Series, but we are in the uh, thick of the free agency period right now. Um, some names are coming off the board already. Um, some trades have taken place, obviously. But what we're going to do is we're going to cover the top five free agents on the board, uh, according to MLB Trade Rumors. Um, and then we will go into a full White Sox deep dive as we are Chicago White Sox fans. And we have a lot of ideas about, you know, what they're going to be prioritizing, you know, here for 2024, uh, looking at their budget, their roster, their current timeline and needs. So we're going to go through the current roster. We're going to go through what free agency might look like for them and make some picks, um, talk through some guys and, you know, hopefully you enjoy, um, you know, feel free to comment again, uh, on anything that you've heard and, uh, Again, we just appreciate the support. So without further ado, we'll go into the top five free agents. Uh, number one on the board is obviously uh, Shohei Otani. So Wayne, uh, why don't you take it away? Yeah, thanks, Pat. Man, Shohei, like, you know, he's got to go somewhere else, right? I, I think that's just the general consensus. Like, he's just wasting all that, what, like two going to be three-time MVP talent or whatever it is uh, in with the Angels organization and just not winning. Um, so I feel like, you know, I hear a lot of uh, different teams out there. I think what I'm hearing the most is like Dodgers, uh, maybe some Giants and then Cubs. So, and then maybe there's some uh, play for the Mets. And then, of course, you know, there's always the talk of the Yankees, but... I feel like it just seems like he's much more of the West Coast guy. He could have signed with the Yankees or any of those other teams, right? But he chose to sign with the Angels. Now I think it's like, you know what? I, I've had, you know, uh, the, the the glitz, the glamour and stuff like that. Now I, I want to be winning, right? And that's where I feel like at least my pick of who I think he's going to be with. And I think this team has been kind of setting themselves up for this is the Dodgers. Uh, I hate to say it. The rich get a little bit richer here. Uh, albeit they're going to pay like a fortune to get him. So maybe not that rich, but you know, I, I think Shohei he wants to stay in LA. Uh, he doesn't have to move or anything like that. Just like, get, you know, just chill and have a, have a winning organization have with all the resources has a lot of young talent around there as well as, you know, awesome veterans and a culture of winning. So it's like, what other better organization right now at this day uh, in this roster than say, the Dodgers and, and what they can do. Uh, they'll be, you know, 
winning the division basically every single year, being in the playoffs. And I think Shohei is just going to be hungry for that and showcase his talent. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other team that makes more sense or what all the rationale is for some of the other teams, but I feel like, yeah, he's, he wants to stay in California. Sorry, Cubs fans. Sorry, New York Mets fans or New York Yankees fans or whomever, right? I just feel like he wants to stay in California. I think the Dodgers just make the most sense for him. Yeah. Um, no, those are all good points. I mean, what we've been seeing from the news is, Hey, are the Cubbies in the hunt for this? Like, are they the front runners? You know, I've seen things from the Braves to the Rangers. Uh, maybe those would be shorter timeline, high AAV contracts, just based on where they're at. Um, you know, would he go back to the Angels? Like, I don't know. I don't really think so. Not where, you know, they've been and where they're probably going. So I'm with you fully. I'm going in with the Dodgers here. Like you said, they basically didn't go out, didn't really do much this past offseason. Felt like hey, they were trying to clear the books and open up that space to be able to sign Otani. And uh, what's weird is it's not really conventional for the Dodgers to be going out and thinking about, you know, a 10 to 12, you know, year deal uh, for, you know, one of these top end players. Like they're more or less like making pitches at the three to four year range, uh, trying to get guys in their prime at the highest AAV, you know, possible. Like they did that with Bryce Harper, Um you know, I'm sure they offered contracts like that to Max Scherzer as well. Maybe Justin Verlander didn't quite land it, but, you know, they need to make a splash. I think this year they need to do a lot of things to make them a more competitive team when it comes down to being in the playoffs. Um, I think with Otani not really being able to pitch this upcoming year, that definitely is a ding for him just in terms of what he can get contract wise. I worry about that. I mean, two arm surgeries in his short career already. Um, might be tough to see like how much does he actually get on the hill over the lifetime uh, value of that deal. Like it might be half the amount of years he's actually pitching, you know, so that that's a huge downside, you know, in terms of signing a guy like Otani, but you, know, you look at the upside batted 300 with 45 home runs this year, had a 10 war. I mean, it's obviously going along with, you know, 10 wins and a, a three RA as a starter too. So, I mean, those things combined, I mean, he's an, a magnificent player. Um, I do think he signs with the Dodgers. The one thing that I'll just throw out there, it might be a little controversial is like, not going to say this is going to be a bust type of signing, but I think whatever the total value is for this contract, um, let's just hope, you know, the years on it, if it gets to the 12 year mark, like I know everybody loves Shohei and he's an amazing athlete and he's done a lot of great things, but I do again, worry about that arm. And if you're paying for two superstars for the price of one, like, that's when I get a little bit nervous. Uh, so it better be a big market club or a team that can make a big trade if he's, you know, three or four in years into it. And it's just like, they can't afford, you know, him anymore, but uh, he will definitely constrain uh, the, the books for, for whoever signs him. Oh yeah. He'll definitely, he'll definitely like eat up as much uh, capital as possible. And rightfully so. I mean, what player has contributed both on, you know, whether it be pitching or yeah, the offensive side too. And I think uh, offensive wise, like his, his stats kind of rack, you know, kind of rack right up there with like Aaron judge even right. In terms of, you know, homers, OPS and such like, so he can honestly probably ask for a similar contract is what I think a lot of people are anticipating that Aaron judge did. Uh, and probably even a little bit more, honestly, just, you know, inflation. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the star power he brings, the, the, the marketability he brings, I think, is, you know, 
it's 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 it, there's really is nobody I think that really contends with him. You know, in this day and age, I feel like so. Yeah, Shitani's bringing a lot of helping the Japanese audience to your your franchise as well as you know the numbers, the stats, and then obviously you know probably going to be winning some games, especially if he's going to be there. Uh, you know, with the uh, the Dodgers, right? It's like okay, the Dodgers. There's a reason why they didn't sign. Uh, you know, Corey Seager, right? Uh, obviously, they had some young talent there, but you know, oh yeah, they also had uh, Shohei. Maybe they were looking for, or, and then also Trey Turner as well. So I, I think they were kind of just gearing for for all that. And so yeah, they're they're going all in. I feel like on Shohei. I feel like, and yeah, uh, he may not be pitching. I think yet, you know, this year, but maybe maybe they want to have him like playoff time. You know, bottom of the ninth, like that. That could be some electric stuff you see there. If, He's able to get healthy and, you know, pitch there uh, kind of maybe in more relief roles. So he doesn't, you know, put as much wear and tear on his shoulder, but, you know, still is able to obviously hit some dingers and, and get some hits there. Uh, he's just really that talented. You can just kind of put him in those prime moments, right, I feel like, and show, and utilize him there. He's built, I think, for playoff baseball. So, I don't know, I'm, I, I would definitely be excited to see him on the Dodgers just as a baseball fan here. So, Yeah, I mean – it's a good market for him. Uh, they'll definitely make hand over fist enough money to probably, uh, you know, at least validate, you know, that contract It's probably be anywhere in the ballpark of 10 to 12 years for 500 to $600 million. Uh, we'll just have to see. Um, yeah. I mean, with what else they could be up to this off season, it might be, you know, the start of a really dangerous run yet again for the Dodgers. So uh, stay tuned. Um, number two, we have Cody Bellinger. Yeah, so Cody, uh, man, you know, did really well with the Cubs. Like, I, I think I, I might have called it, or I know a lot of people called it, right? Like, this was a good kind of like prove it type of year for Cody. You know, bouncing back from a, kind of a struggling year he had, you know, with, with the Dodgers, right? And and then it's like, okay, now what? Uh, I I think this sets him up really well. And I don't know Cody that well or anything his persona or what he's looking for, but. To me, what makes the most sense, maybe from the baseball standpoint, I think, is for him to go to the Yankees. Uh, Yankees, they needed some hitting. They needed some hitting. They need some hitting. They need some hitting. Uh, kind of had struggled, right, a little bit offensively this year, or should I say a lot of it, you know. Uh, and I think Eddie and Cody Bellinger, a lefty bat, oh, man, you know, in Yankee Stadium, I feel like that's going to be awesome for them. So, yeah, I got Cody going to the Yankees. Yankees, you know, they obviously have the capital to you know invest in a player like Cody Bellinger. Uh, he's definitely going to make some money here for yeah the former you know 2019 National League MVP. Uh, maybe he does get back to that 40 homer mark right at Yankee Stadium just with that short right field. I feel like that's just a great match made in heaven for him and you know great place for his marketability as well. You know, so having been in LA. And then going to New York, you know, I, I think this is good for him. Yeah. Now I'm with you again. I'm, I went with the Yankees too. Um, no, I think he's a perfect fit there, especially throwing him out there in center field for some of the earlier years of the contract. And then, you know, once Anthony Rizzo retires, you can slot him over at first base whenever you feel ready. Um, he's a man of many extremes, right? Because he's been a rookie of the year, an MVP, uh, had a great run in the World Series as well. And then, the bottom absolutely just fell out, you know, and he had two, you know, awful years, awful years. I mean, years where you pick up a minor leaguer, uh, just your, you know, 
zero war player, your average replacement player would have been better than a guy like Cody Bellinger. You know, goes to Chicago in a get right year on a one year deal with an option. And it probably is like more or less like what his what his stand, his new standard is probably going to be. You know, it's going to be around, you know, probably 280, 300. He's probably putting up 20, 30 home runs. Like who knows what could happen in New York, like you're saying, with a short porch. But I think you also have to factor in some of that downside risk too. And, you know, the deals that I've been seeing right now, uh, you know, <laughs> MLBTR basically said 12 years, $264 million. I'm just saying, I don't want to be the team paying him that much money for 12 years or bring him into his age 40 season. Like there are some of these guys like, like we've been, you know, seeing the last few years, you know, the Bryce Harper's, the Manny Machado's uh, we've got Trey Turner. We got Aaron judge. We've got guys who are signed into their, you know, year 40 <laughs> type of deal. But I, I feel like they're on a different shelf than Cody, like Cody to me, um, you know, he's probably your above average to, you know, all-star type player. Whereas some of these guys are perennial all-star to Hall of Fame bound type players. And uh, I just, I don't see that with Cody. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of mixed years. And uh, to be honest with you, him going to New York is so fitting because they've, you know, signed guys like they've signed guys like Aaron Judge who got injured in the first year of that deal. And then, you know, they're, they're holding on to Giancarlo Stanton where they're just sitting there and they're like, Hey man, this guy, you know, his injuries are baked into his game. You know, like the GM Cashman's like coming out and kind of dogging him a little bit. And, you know, Stanton and his agent are fighting back on kind of the rhetoric and stuff. It just kind of sounds like, you know, it's kind of like uh, the LA angels of the East, uh, you know, the, from what we've seen of the Yanks over the last 10 years or so. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think he fills a, an immediate need here, but again, like this long-term high you know, price you know, contract, like it may not be the best thing for him. Yeah, definitely not 12 year. Like if there was maybe a, I don't know, four or five year contract, that would probably make the most sense for both, both parties. I think uh, from the Belgium side, it's like, okay, yeah, that gives him some security, especially in his prime years, right? You know, probably want that five year deal. Cause yeah, age 28, like that really is the prime year. I, I think somebody did some analysis on that, right. As, Age 28 for most major league baseball players, that's like when they start to be starting to peak, right? And you know, we see that, uh, you know, he's age 28 to probably age 22. So this is kind of like the perfect time to like sign him to that type of deal. But obviously, if you're Cody Bellinger's agent, you're like, okay, that's nice. But, you know, can we get a little bit more security from there, you know, after he hits his prime years to, you know, yeah, age 34, 35? Like, what, what is he going to be doing? Is he going to be, still be hitting that 280 to 300 range, or maybe he's hitting, you know, closer to 240, 250. And maybe he's hitting, you know, maybe low 20, 20s homers, which yeah, I think that's what I feel just like based off of, you know, his history is swing a little bit too. He's definitely much more of a, he's had the history of like having a, a kind of that golf swing a little bit. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely see that probably is the most uh, that as a deal that makes more sense four or five years or something like that. So, but yeah, I think the Yankees, they, they can definitely spell them, like you mentioned. They have a history of just getting sluggers, even on bad contracts, and then kind of holding them there, uh, even if it doesn't make sense, But because they can financially just do that, right? So, Yeah, I actually like your point a lot about going for a five-year deal. That would allow them to, you know, maybe bring that AAV up per season over five years, you know, say, hey, like maybe you're then paying me, you know, 30 mil, 25 to 30 mil a year. Uh, versus, you know, if you pay me 
you know, the 10 year, uh, 12 year piece, maybe we bring that down to, you know, anywhere between like 18 to 20 some million, you know, dollars per season. Um, if I'm a club, I'm wanting the five year deal. Uh, I might bring that value up on the deal, but again, allows Cody to go back into free agency, probably in his early thirties. And, you know, if he's had a productive stretch, like he could still get another three to four year contract, you know, past that point. And, and that might be best for everybody involved. Uh, but we'll just have to see, uh, It'll be interesting to see where uh, where Cody lands and just you know how good he plays over the course of his career. Um, our next one, number three, is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yeah, Yamamoto, man, uh, really exciting to see uh, him. I, I don't know. I I just like whenever I see you know highly touted, I guess Japanese players. It always seems like at least the highly touted ones they'll they'll come in and they'll they'll make a little bit of a ruckus here. You know, I, I think there's been some nice solid ones that have been occurring um you know i i think i i'm looking to see like what where the rumors are landing you know I, it's kind of the usual suspects right the dodgers mets and i'm also seeing red Sox here uh i think you know there's a couple of factors right like have they signed japanese uh players in the past and you know, is there going to be some sort of you know, I, I think obviously it's like you know, are they going to be playing for a big market team and such as well so but i don't know i have him going to the Mets, actually. I think the Mets. I think the Mets make the most sense, at least in my opinion on this. Maybe the Dodgers. I don't know if the... I feel like there's going to be... I'm kind of banking on the Dodgers getting Shohei, and then, you know, that, that kind of kills a little bit more of their budget, and then they're just going to have more filler type of players uh, around uh, Shohei. So, kind of banking on that to happen. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the Mets, obviously, they got rid of you know, Scherzer and Verlander last year, right? Or, yeah, yeah, last year. Uh, pitching a little bit thinner, I think, coming into the season. Uh, they do have, you know, Kode Senga as well. So it's like he had a great year last year, and I think kind of that factors in. It's like, oh, he had a great year, and maybe I can learn more about, you know, the soft approaches that he had kind of, you know, kind of coming in, uh, you know, from Japan and, and kind of, you know, getting into that, whole acclimation, kind of like, you know, when, when we talk about the White Sox, how Jose Abreu or a lot of the Cuban players, right, it became like a, a destination because of all that, having that culture of, you know, uh, uh, whether it's Japanese players or Cuban players being there already and kind of showing you the ropes a little bit. I, I think that's invaluable. So I have him, yeah, going there. And that that would be a nice, you know, co kind of combination over there. I feel like for the New York Mets, if they can actually have both those players, Kode, uh, and then Yamamoto, I feel like that would just be deadly. And, you know, having that, and then, you know, they still have some decent offensive players as well. So, like, this, this could definitely be a team. You know, I think we both predicted them to do pretty well, I think, this previous season. And, yeah, they obviously kind of just flopped. So, but, yeah, having two starters like that, that, you know, maybe sub-3 ERA, sub-3 ERA, uh, maybe they are both able to pitch, like, 170 innings, right? I think that can be very valuable for the Mets. So, yeah, I'm going to go Yamamoto going to the Mets here. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. I, I like the Kodai Senga point. I mean, if I was coming from Japan into a new league, I'd like to know that some of my teammates are Japanese, that I can get acclimated to the city, you know, play, you know, in the same rotation as another guy that maybe I played with, um, you know, in or around Japan. So I think that's smart. Like you're saying, New York too, they've they've hosted a lot of Japanese players over time. Uh, it's a, obviously a major attraction, I think, to anybody uh, coming in from abroad. So you know, solid points, uh, you know, overall, 
I think with Yamamoto, I took a alternative approach. I was just kind of looking at teams that have pitching needs and also have, uh, you know, deep pockets to, uh, you know, to spend this off season. And for me, I feel like, you know, California is also a very attractive destination. I could see the San Francisco Giants making a really big, you know, pitch to Yamamoto. Um, they came up short last off season on the judge and Correa pitches. You know, they obviously had a very underwhelming season yet again. Um, you know, two years in a row since having a really, you know, outstanding 21. Um, and I think they're, they're, they're kind of done, you know, nibbling at the edges. I think like the Boston Red Sox who cleared out, you know, their executive staff as well. It's just, you know, you, you can't always play deep, rich analytics, uh, all the time and try to look for, you know, look for treasure in the trash and stuff. Sometimes you got to go out and, you know, put a big contract forward and get a player that's a bona fide talent. And I think, you know, they've got Logan Webb out there uh, in their rotation. I think they'd love to have another uh, top-end arm to go, you know, ar- along with, uh, you know, the others that they basically cobble together on one- to two-year deals. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably going to be netting, you know, somewhere between, you know, seven, maybe eight years. Uh, we're looking at north of $100 million on any sort of deal for him. But I think he'll return value because a lot of these Japanese players who have established themselves in Japan, when they've come over, you know, recently, especially like sometimes it's been hit and miss like in the 2000s, but in these last couple of seasons, every Japanese player has been basically a hit. So um, I'd be, I'd be going after him pretty aggressively here. Yeah, no, honestly, I like age 25 as well. Yeah. Like, like, I I don't know too many of the ones that have missed as much, right. Uh, Especially of late. So yeah, I, I, I see him. Yeah, if he can get a hundred million dollar contract, like right off the bat, like that's that'd be golden for him. But yeah, like age twenty five, you know, if he's able to get seven, eight year deal, I think that's that'll be great for him. You know, it takes him to like year like or, you know early thirties, right, hitting his prime. So that'll probably be the the best deal I think that makes the sense for both of them. Like you know, get the long term security, uh, and then yeah, for whatever organization signs him, you know, you, you get him at the prime years, and then yeah, maybe you know we'll see what happens with him. Maybe, you know, uh, is he healthy or? You know, does he uh, um, kind of digress in his later, you know, early 30s there or something like that, you know, usually happens. So some things to consider there. But yeah, like definitely like, you know, he he was a triple crown winner over there in Japan. Like he's just not not some sort of finesse type of pitcher. Uh, he's a great pitcher. He's an MVP type of level of pitcher. Like they're Justin Verlander in his prime type of pitcher over there. So bring him over here like he can be an ace in, 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 in any organization, I feel like. So, uh, but yeah, I definitely like the. The Giants pick that that could be definitely good, I think, for him. And yeah, pitching in that ballpark too, like a lot of aces going to go through there. And nice to have success, right? If you know, uh, being in uh, that pitcher, very pitcher friendly uh, stadium there. Yeah, um, MLBTR has a nine-year, two hundred twenty-five million dollar projection for him. I mean, that's a little bit different than what we're talking about. You know, if like, if you're, if you're around like 150 or something for six or seven years, like that's a little bit more palatable for a guy who's never stepped in there, but you're basically paying him Aaron Nola money uh, for greater years for a guy who's never, you know, pitched in the pros. I mean, that's a different conversation I think to have, to be honest with you, but that might be what it takes to, to get him inked. I mean, that'd be nuts. Right. Uh, I mean, that's like one thing about, uh, you know, the difference, I think, with the Japanese league too, and MLB, right. Is MLB, there's more games, more, more innings pitch usually. Right. So 
you know, how much wear and tear is he going to be like? Is he going to be able to, to do 180 innings, 200 you know, innings pitch, right? You got to factor that in as well. So, yeah, just some things, some things to consider. But, yeah, 220, the player who hasn't pitched in Major League Baseball, like getting an Aaron Nola contract who has a history and record of success in this league, like, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one, but you know if he's able to get a hundred million like right off the bat though, or maybe one fifty, like that would be incredible. Maybe that's more approachable, but I don't know. We'll see. That's that's definitely a, a that's like Red Sox Yankee money. Like all right, yeah, we'll just burn whatever we can to to win, right? Yeah, but well, we'll see. Um, our number four, we have Blake Snell. Man, Blake Snell, you know, uh, Cy Young winner. Uh, you know, did it or sh- kind of struggled off the gate, right, with the Padres, but then, you know, has been uh, a staple within that rotation. He, but one thing I don't like about him is his walks, right? But he's able to kind of work through that, and he's had that history of success. So I don't know. It's like, yeah, two times Cy Youngs. Like I don't know how many two time Cy Youngs are out there that you know enter in some sort of free agency market and. You know, uh, obviously he's going to get some top billing. And, you know, I, I think I did talk about, right, the Dodgers, right, and getting Shohei. I'm kind of banking on that, right? It's like, all right, if there's going to be a snowball effect, I think, with Shohei, it's like, all right, if the Dodgers aren't able to land Shohei, there's going to be a bunch of pitchers that they'll probably want to get, right? Or you know, maybe some other, maybe they do make a play on Cody Bellinger. I don't know, right? Uh, but, yeah, like there's going to be a lot of other factors or domino effect, I think, that happens there. So based off that, Shohei going to the Dodgers, I think with Blake Snell, you know, I'm looking at teams that need pitching um, and that kind of make the most sense. I'm going to go with the Cardinals, actually. I think the Cardinals, they really don't have much of a pitch rotation at the moment, uh, yet they still have a pretty good offense. And I think they, you know, we've been talking about them like, you know, being contenders of recent years. So uh, I feel like they still have a window with Paul Goldschmidt, you know, and Arenado, right? Uh, they just need some pitching depth, and you know what better way to do that than getting the the Cy Young, the Cy Young winner there in the NL. So, uh, you know, great organization. I think a lot, and maybe I'm hoping that would, you know, from the Cardinals' perspective, get Blake Snell to kind of give him a look. See, is like, hey, we have a history, a track record of success. You know, I know both you and I, we picked the Cardinals to win this, win the division this year, and everything, but you know, things just didn't work out that way. So. You know, hopefully he does see like, hey, this is a great organization. This, this year just wasn't their year. Um, but yeah, I they have a history of building successful teams for decades and a winning culture. So I'm going to go side with him as opposed to, you know, the Padres who are spending a bunch of money, but not too much to show for it. So yeah, would love to see the Cardinals make a play on here. I do like the Cardinals pick too, because like you're saying, going into this year, we all thought they'd probably, you know, be a true contender there in the NL Central. Pitching is what really, you know, set them back. I think, you know, their offense, they have a lot of great pieces there. They can definitely, you know, put it together on the offensive side of the ball. But, yeah, pitching-wise, that was kind of their Achilles heel. They had nobody they could really, you know, go to as a horse. Um, Aaron Nola just signed with the Phillies, and they were rumored to be really, you know, deep in on the Nola Nola signing and uh, just didn't work out for them. So that'll be interesting. I think for me, uh, you know, looking at where Blake Snell has been, uh, he has, you know, been in the AL East before. He knows a lot of those teams there. He's probably comfortable pitching in a lot of those parks, given his time with Tampa. 
Um, I'm looking at a team that, you know, obviously, you know, got rid of their, some of their executive staff and, and brought in a former relief pitcher, Craig Breslow, uh, to take over um, on all player personnel decisions. He's a, a left-handed reliever, uh, you know, in his past. And I, I'm sure he'd love to have, you know, a, a staff ace there, um, especially another lefty uh, like Blake Snell to kind of go along with Chris Sale. And, you know, they've had James Paxton these past couple of years. They'll probably, you know, maybe let him walk. But in a lot of ways, I think, you know, Boston needs to get back to, you know, being the Red Sox we remember. It's not, you know, this you know, money ball type approach to, to guys and, and rosters and stuff. Like they spend money. They're obviously very smart as an organization. So I'm sure they did their due diligence on guys, but you know, I'm sure they want to make a splash here. They need the help at pitching and they've got the money to do it. So uh, yeah, I think Blake would probably be comfortable going back there. And uh, I've seen a price tag of around seven years for $200 million. That feels pretty appropriate for a two time Cy Young, you know, winner and, two-time ERA title winner too. Um, he can definitely fluctuate season to season, like you mentioned, but um, I just think he'd be a great fit there. And I think he would uh, definitely get into uh, Boston baseball culture. Yeah. I mean, he definitely fits that Boston, I think, mold a little bit. Um, I think the one thing is like, you know, I, I, there is definitely something with lefties being going to Boston, but at the same time, I think that's oftentimes overplayed a little bit, right? Cause it's like, oh yeah, you know, there's uh uh uh, you know, the, the green monster and it's like a, a writer, right handed hitters like ballpark. Right. But at the same time, it's like, there's been some pretty good lefties, I think coming through Boston and everything, right. With, you know, whether it's Lester, you know, David Price that one time for sale, it's like that really hasn't, um, you know, deterred them from being there. So yeah, I could definitely see that. And I, I do think that the Boston Red Sox will be better next year than they were this year. So uh, they, they've just been, kind of slowly like building a, a team a little bit uh, more methodical and not just making those big splashes to your point. Like, I think a lot of the bigger, uh, you know, uh, organizations, right. They're, they try to be more methodical about, you know, building a team and as, as opposed to just spending, you know, crazy dollars here and there. But um, yeah, I think now is the time that they're going to start to be loading up on the roster and, and acquiring free agents here and there. And so I can definitely see that with Blake Snell. Um but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if the Padres do make a play on there. Like you mentioned, they are going through some budget budgetary issues here and there. So uh, it'll be awesome to see, uh, you know, where of you know a, a two-time Cy Young lands, right? Like how many times has that happened in uh, the recent years of a, a you know two times a multiple Cy Young winner, right, going to uh, multiple organizations, like three or four organizations within the span of like five years, right? But yeah, no, it's been a while since uh, Nolan Ryan played the game, so we'll see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right. Well, we're skipping over MLBTR's number five. It was Aaron Nola as he resigned with the Philadelphia Phillies uh, for seven years, one seventy-five. Uh, not too bad uh, for for Aaron. But uh, at number six, and for our number five, uh, we're gonna go with Jordan Montgomery. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, he's been like quietly one of my favorite players, <laughs> you know, very like he, he, he just doesn't give up runs basically. Right. Like that's his thing. He's big. Uh, he's intimidating, but yeah, he just doesn't give that many runs. And uh, like what I see from Jordan Montgomery, you know, he's always had like a sub four year array the past couple of seasons, uh, you know, wins games and this playoffs was like one of the best pitchers, I think, uh, in, in all baseball in the playoffs here. So really what I see from him. A um, couple, you know, teams that come up, I think, are 
you know, he did play for the Cardinals. And then again, they, like I mentioned before, they were they're building up a rotation over there. Uh, you know, do the Rangers re-sign him? I, I think that they, they, they have enough pitching there. I think they've spent already enough money there. And this was kind of just like they wanted, you know, a pitcher to be there uh, to help bolster up the, rot, the, the pitching staff a little bit. But, you know, with DeGrom coming back and then, you know, Scherzer, it's like, okay, I think, I think that we're okay here. Uh, maybe we can spend more on some other areas. So I'm going to go with the Northsiders. I'm going to go with the Cubs here, actually, making a play. Uh, yeah, I think Cubs, they want to win now. You know, uh, they got Craig Council. They spent some money on him, did a little shady stuff or whatever. You know, we can all talk about that <laughs> with uh, Mr. Rossi Ross. But in the end of the day, it's not personal. It's just business. So I think that they want to load up on some talent. Uh, I think they could use a lefty in their in their uh, pitching rotation there. So Jordan Montgomery, I think that makes the most sense. What better way to get some revenge against the Cardinals, you know, uh, than pitching for the Cubs? And I think that 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 would definitely bolster up the Cubs roster. And I think that makes sense for Jordan Montgomery. It's like okay, great time to cash in now. Got that World Series ring. Uh, has showcased he can be, you know, a very formidable like maybe three. Uh, three uh, number three person in the rotation or three four or something like that. Uh, I, I really like him. I think he could be an excellent starter here. And yeah, would love to see him on the north side and get some W's for, for the Cubbies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good fit. I mean, obviously the Cubs are going to spend. You don't spend eight million dollars for five seasons on a manager. Uh, I think it's precedent setting, obviously, for the game of baseball. But it's like. If you're doing that, you're you're all in, and you're going after all the big names. And obviously, they've been rumored to go after Shohei Otani. Uh, that that pans out. Uh, that'll be pandemonium uh, in Chicago, um, at least on the north side. But yeah, man, I think that is a good fit. Um, they obviously need the rotation help. Marcus Stroman uh, is going to be free, so they'll be losing him if they don't go after him as well. So. Um, yeah, and I think that just kind of sets them up for the new era of what the Cubs want to be. I mean, they want to be, you know, future looking team. I mean, they're, they're probably, you know, steering more away from those short-term deals with older guys, unless they're, you know, the last pieces to, to their playoff team. So, um, yeah, go ahead and grab, you know, staff anchor. Uh, I mean, NLBTR is projecting six years, 150 million. That feels really great to sign a guy like that for that price tag, especially when we're considering what Nola got, you know, what Yamamoto might get on the free agent market, what Snell might get. I mean, like you were saying, he's quietly one of your favorite players. It's like, cause nobody's talking about him and he's just, he's really, you know, quietly low key, like a number two, you know, pitcher on a world series winner. I mean, he won the world series this last year you know, spinning gems round to round against all sorts of tough opponents in harsh environments. And, uh, Hey man, I've got a soft spot for him too, because he's, he's a Gamecock and I've actually seen him play in college, uh, in South Carolina. So shout out to, uh, shout out to the South Carolina, uh, Gamecock baseball team. There who's won a couple national championships in the 2010s, but, uh, all that aside, I'm, I'm kind of going with a similar approach to you. I'm looking for a, a club that needs, Needs a, you know, a key starter and especially a guy who you can get on pretty decent value just given, you know, the relativity of what starters are getting these days. And there's no team that needs a starter more, especially on some sort of discount than the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, at this point, you're looking at the rotation they put together last year. I mean, they cobbled it together around Grayson Rodriguez, who was obviously going into his rookie year, but guys like 
Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Kyle Gibson, you know, Jack Flaherty being acquired and not doing very much. I mean, they need a guy that they can trust every fifth day who can be their staff anchor and God, somebody who's battle tested and even took them down in the playoffs last year. I mean, they have so many guys on this roster that are pre-arbitration to arbitration right now where their payroll is not going to be very high and they need somebody who, you know, can be, you know, the guy they depend on, but somebody who can obviously, you know, you know, I guess percentage wise, take up a big amount of their current payroll. And, you know, it's just not, it's not going to affect them too much just yet. So um, with all that said, I think he'd be a perfect fit there. Um, he'd be a perfect fit pretty much everywhere he, he wants to sign, but uh, yeah, give me, give me Montgomery going to Baltimore. Yeah. Baltimore definitely needs pitching. I, I, they need veteran pitching. I think that's, that's been the biggest thing like, by far out of any other uh, anything else that they need, they need some veteran pitching. And then whether it is Jordan Montgomery, I mean, there's several other pitchers, you know, out there, obviously, but I think Jordan Montgomery, in my opinion, would make the most sense. Yeah. For really any organization, but yeah, to your point, I think they definitely need uh, some sort of starting veteran starting pitcher to kind of also show the way a little bit for, you know, the younger staff, because they have a really talented young staff, but that's just kind of what they are. And, I think complementing that with some sort of veteran presence, I, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, veteran veteran pitchers have always kind of paired up really well with young pitchers to kind of, you know, showcase a little bit of like, okay, this is how you go about things. I know Mark Burley, right? He learned a lot from David Wells, right? And he kind of learned how to pitch fast, pitch, you know, smart and, and finesse things a little bit. Um, you know, both players are not the best in shape, but then they, were, they had deadly cutters and, you know, they were able to feel their positions. So, yeah, uh, some player like that I think can make a lot of sense. Another player will be like, you know, Sonny Gray maybe or, you know, a player like that caliber. Um, but, yeah, right around there, I think Jordan Montgomery, Sonny Gray type of player makes a lot of sense, I think, for the Orioles because, you know, they they won a lot of games uh, this previous uh, year. But, yeah, they needed that veteran presence, I think, especially come playoff time, right? I think that's certainly where they struggled a little bit there. No doubt. Well, that's our top five. Uh, there are many, many free agents, uh, you know, that we could cover, but we're just going to stick with those five. So hopefully you enjoyed, uh, go in the comments, let us know what you think, uh, where are some of these guys going that we didn't mention? Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say and kind of banter back and forth. Um, now for the, uh, the main event for tonight is, is our Chicago White Sox who, uh, you know, unfortunately finished at near, you know, the bottom of the league last year after, finishing 500 in 2022, winning the division in 21. Uh, you know, obviously having a playoff berth in the shortened 2020 season, there was a lot to look forward to uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, now we kind of know what the reality of the situation is. Um, it's a little bit bleaker, uh, you know, but it's nice to know that we're, you know, refreshing the executive staff. Uh, you know, we brought in some new coaches, we have a lot of payroll to work with. Um, we just saw Chris Getz pull off a five-for-one deal for Aaron Bummer to bring over a lot more pitching depth, infield depth, you name it. Um, just looking at um, Spot Track um, and the roster that we have and their payroll overall, it looks like it could be ranging anywhere from 105 to 120 million um, based on their 40-man roster as of right now. Um, looking at where the White Sox were spending over the last couple of years, it was in the range of 180 to 190 million dollars. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf's been on the news, basically saying that he wants to see that payroll uh, come down just a touch. So I don't know what that means exactly, uh, but I guess 
conservatively, I've kind of estimated maybe that's somewhere in the range of you know, 170, 175 million dollars going into 2024 if, if they're looking at that, you know, that top end of the range. So um, I have a lot more thoughts. I have a lot more assumptions that I've kind of baked in, but I guess I'll just kick it over to you, Wayne, if you have any kind of initial framing thoughts for the White Sox and this uh, this offseason ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a transitionary year. I feel like that the White Sox are going through, um, at least in my opinion. I, I, do, I did like the trade, obviously, with Bummer, right? It's like they kind of capitalized. I, I feel like that that's the main thing. It felt like we're, we weren't just kind of sitting back and, and just watching things go. We were actually like trying to do things and make our club and our, our future a little bit brighter. Um, you know, we capitalized on, I think the Braves, I think you might've mentioned before, like the Braves, like the reason why they did this wasn't because of the talent. Like they, like they're just big fans of Aaron Bummer. Right. Um, but yeah, because I, I think a couple of those players that they traded for were on their 40 man roster and they're, you know, these are players that, that were probably going to go bye-bye anyways. So might as well get something for him. And then, you know, you know, uh, who knows what happens with Aaron Bummer. I think middle relief pitchers, you know, one year they have an eight ERA, the next year they have a two two ERA, and that's just how it is. And, you know, it is nice to have like a lefty, you know, in the bullpen there. So I get it, it makes sense, I think, for both squads, kind of a win-win in a way uh, here. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, adding in some just overall play, uh, overall young talent, I think that's the biggest thing adding in some young talent. And then if we are able to add, you know, a vet for cheap or something like that, uh, that kind of sets the tone, like has, has a veteran presence to them that it's like, okay, I want this person and players like him. Right. Cause I think that was something we missed completely this past couple of seasons was a player, you know, with, especially with Jose Abreu, right. Leaving for the Astros. That's like, Hey, this is just how you do business. This is how you are to be as a major league baseball player. This is like the White Sox culture, just somebody with that winning pedigree that you want to emulate you have a lot of young talent that we had on here. So uh, I think a combination of that just probably makes the most sense for the White Sox. Um, you know, I'm trying to give Chris Getz the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, maybe I, I would have liked to have somebody obviously outside of the organization from, yeah, an organization from, you know, the Rays or you know, the, the Marlins or something like that, or I don't know. Uh, yeah. A lot of other you know, people I, I would would have liked to have seen in that seat, but you know, it is what it is. And we'll see what happens if he is able to, you know, kind of shut us up and then actually get some talent. And yeah, like I said, this was a good start, I think with the Aaron, Aaron bummer trade here. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, are there any players you want to talk about, but or any, any, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some, you know, free agents out there, some of those vets I was talking about, like that you want to see, like, I would love to see 25 players just like this guy. Yeah. Um, well, man, I, I guess like I have framed this up for myself. Like I've, I've penciled down some assumptions uh, that I'm working with here um, just to, just to level set a little bit. But I think the first one for me is like, we probably have $50 million in capital to spend like on a year to year basis. Like we're adding $50 million on an annual, you know, annual basis to our roster. Um, looking at the fact that Benintendi is the highest contract we've ever doled out at five years, 75, I'm going to make an assumption that we're not going to break the bank and go above a contract of that, of that size and volume. Um, 
And then I just also looked at some of our needs. I mean, I looked at our 40-man roster. I penciled it down in terms of salary, in terms of positions and such. We definitely need a catcher, a second baseman, a shortstop, a right fielder, and at very least, a starting pitcher and an extra reliever. Um, you know, we have a lot of guys who will be battling for spots throughout spring training and might sign a bunch of guys to minor minor deals and things like that. But like, fundamentally, that's kind of what we need. So just kind of looking at that, you know, the six positions or so, the average spend is probably be somewhere around $8 million per player. Um, I guess I have a bunch of guys that have highlighted on these positions, but maybe I'll just start it off with two guys that I'm most excited about us signing. Um, and I want to get your thoughts and then, you know, for sure we'll answer your questions on the 25 man roster guys. I'd love to see fill that out veterans that we could bring in too. But for me, based on what you said, I'm in complete agreement of where we are. There's been these rumors floated around by Reinsdorf and Getz that we're going forward in 24. We're trying to win the central yada, yada, yada. What does that really mean? It means that, they don't think that much about the central and they're going to do, you know, as much as they think is necessary to win the central division, which for a lot of us doesn't really mean a lot. And what it really says is, you know, we're not trying to compete with uh, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Braves, the Rangers. Like we're trying to, we're just trying to get <laughs> better than the twins, which is like a, you know, 88 win team. But for me, the goalposts are, starting in 2025 it's starting in 2025 for for me there were two guys that i think could be incredibly interesting anchors that are totally worth the gamble for what they've done in other leagues they're both international uh one's an outfielder and one's a pitcher the outfielder for me is from the korean baseball organization's name's jung hoo lee um this guy is 25 years old mlbtr projects that he would uh cost five years 50 million dollars um, for seven years, he batted 300 with a 700 OPS. Um, he averaged about 20 to 25 home runs per year. He's a natural center fielder. And a lot of what, you know, folks have been saying scouting wise is that he may not play center field in the major leagues. So if that's, you know, the, the rumor, Hey, we got right field wide open. It's been wide open for a very long time. And everything that gets has been preaching has been defense speed contact, the right way to play the game. Love to bring over a game changer like that. We we saw what happened in Boston with, uh, you know, Matsusaka Yoshida uh, came in with a lot of skepticism at five years, $90 million, completely earned that contract and more, uh, batted around 290 with 20 plus home runs for Boston with an absolute fixture in the middle of their order. Um, who knows what he could give us? Maybe gives us 10 to 15 home runs a year. Maybe that's where he's at to start it off. But man, like it gives us youth. It gives us speed. It gives us somebody who can play in our corner. It gives us a new look. It, it opens us up to Asia for, for talent. Like sign me up for that. The guys bats lefty. Perfect. Like perfect. That's my first one. Go after Jung Hoo Lee, make that offer competitive. But even if it's competitive, it's still within our budget. Second guy, Cuban pitcher, Yariel Rodriguez. Guy's 26 years old. He's averaged about 100 innings a year, uh, three ERA. Um, MLBTR projects he'd be four years, $32 million. Um, for me, you're getting a guy in his prime window. We have a lot of familiarity with Cuban players. We've got a few on our roster. We've got Luis Robert. We've got um, Yoan Mancada, obviously. We've got guys who 
you know, come from that place and could be great assets to a guy like Gary L coming in. I mean, I know we've talked a lot about culture. We don't love Mankata, but we sure as hell love having Luis Robert on this team. Um, I think he'd be a perfect fit. He's a great flyer. Four years, 32 would bring him into his age 30 season at the very end of it. You know, at this point, you know, we obviously need guys who can gobble up innings, but we also need to shoot for some upside here. And, you know, that, that length of contract would get us into our contention window too. So those are the first two guys I wanted to throw out there for any sort of discussion and just hear what you have to say, Wayne. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I know. I, I, a hundred percent agree. I think all those players make sense. And then, yeah, for the right dollar amount too. So I, I mean, the question of course is, do they actually want to play here? Uh, I think Yariel, he's, He's definitely like somebody that I, I feel like we can get because of the, the Cuban element that we do have and that, you know, hey, we'll use whatever advantage or even perceived advantage that we can. Um, would love to see a player like Jung Hoo Lee come over as well. You know, uh, I know a lot of Korean baseball players, right? They just, they can get on base, man. <laughs> they, can, they can get on base, you know, left, lefty at bat, you know, like you said, and uh, we, we just need a lot of that. Like, I, I don't want Ben and Tenney to be our best left-handed hitter, right? Uh, you know, like Gavin Sheets, he can hit here and there, but he definitely has not been like the guy, right? So, um, yeah, would love to see somebody like that to kind of mesh with, you know, the, the heavy right-handed uh, talent that we do have, you know, with uh, Vaughn and then obviously Roberts. Like, you know, those are the, definitely the players I think we want to build around. But yeah, having complementary pieces there with left-handed you know, hitters who get on base, you know, we can steal base here and there, play good defense. Like, you know, if that's what Getz wants, then I think that really, is, you know, is kind of fits what we have. You know, we have some power, you know, but then obviously complementing that with uh, the speed, the defense, I think, especially now, yeah, speed is actually a little bit more of a premium now. So if we can get some speedsters to be there with uh, the, the power that we do have, great. And then obviously can they hit? Perfect. Um yeah, and then Yariel Rodriguez, I think he he fits our timeline. I think that's the that's the idea. He fits our timeline. We can be patient with him. He can, we, he can develop, uh, and yeah, you know, we can get him for you know a, a good a good cost. I think uh, for the next several years. So all those players, I think, can make sense. Will we do it? I don't know. Uh, do they want to come here? I don't know. I think those are the bigger questions, but. Yeah, would love to see players such as those two guys you mentioned join, joining the, the squad. And then, yeah, that, that can definitely help us improve, I think, overall uh, for the next couple of years. For, for sure. So in the vein of your question, did you want me to answer that? Or do you want to throw out a player or two that you're you know most interested in? Um, I, player that I'm most interested in. Well, you were talking about, I think, second base, right? Uh, was one yeah. thing, like one one position. And it's like, you know, we've had this experimentation, I think, with, you know, older vets, young people. And I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like, <clears throat> like, we need, to, we need to get this thing done. I feel like we, we've had second base kind of just be there, uh, like an open, uh, open spot that, you know, Elvis Andrews, like, yeah, great. You know, if we got him like five, six years ago, that would have been perfect. But, um yeah, I don't know. I was looking at, I was, I was thinking about Whitfield a little bit, but at the same time, it kind of feels like 
that we're getting to that same vein of you know older players but i don't know he's he's kind of played it okay though and maybe we can utilize him and then still like develop somebody and yeah use him as a plug and play i just don't think that elvis andrews i feel like he's gonna be gone he's not gonna come back again and you know uh so i don't know is there a second baseman that you you think you want to see for the white Sox, or you know maybe maybe uh Merrifield is the answer there yeah um this goes along to your question by the way guys that i want to have on the team i think going into kind of researching the offseason, the guys that are available and knowing our needs shortstop and second base both come with some pretty big holes here like i know People are standing uh, in the White Sox organization about bringing over Nicky Lopez. Uh, love the kid's glove. Amazing glove guy from Naperville. But he hasn't done much with the bat. I mean, averaging like two home runs a year, batting 220, 230, 240. I mean, that's just, that's a backup utility infielder and a good one at that. I'd love to have him kind of mixed up as, a, you know, around the diamond because he's Defensive runs saved are off the charts, especially at all four infield positions. So love having Lopez, but it's it's not a starter guy. When I first thought about this offseason, Ahmed Rosario stood out to me so much because he's the type of guy that, you know, it's kind of that grit and grind player that I think they're looking for. Um, guy who's batting, you know, 270, uh, has a little bit of pop, you know, has averaged about 10 homers, uh, 60 RBIs, can also get you 15 to 20 stolen bases. Had a bit of a down year going to Los Angeles, coming from Cleveland, but also just comes from Cleveland, like knows how the Guardians play ball. We want to play like the Guardians. That's that's basically what I've been hearing out of Chris Getz. It's like, we want to have small ball. We want to have a great defense, some speed. Why not take a guy who's been you know in Cleveland for the majority of his career? He is a liability somewhat at shortstop, but I think the beauty of it is, is that by the time Colson Montgomery is ready, you can shift Ahmed Rosario over to second base and he can be that kind of acid for you right there once Colson is ready. And you can have Nicky Lopez be that stopgap at short if you need it um, in that sense. Um, on the same question at second base too, I think this is kind of a, uh, it can be Rosario or, or it can be Rosario and, and I think the and for me is Adam Frazier. Um, Adam Frazier's kind of been on our radar for a while uh, when he was with Pittsburgh, San Diego, in terms of trades. He's 32 years old. Um, last year, he actually had kind of a, a comeback year with the Orioles, batted 240 with 13 homers, 60 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. Um, he's 32 years old, and he got a one-year $8 million deal last year. I think if we did a one-year deal, two-year deal in that 5 to $8 to $10 million range, that might be might be decent. And I think the beauty of Adam Frazier too, is he plays second base. Uh, he's a little bit uh, below grade um, as a second base defender, but he is a 60 defensive run saved average right fielder. And I think the beauty of that is, is, you know, he bats lefty. If you had Rosario and him up the middle, by the time Colson's ready to come up, you scoot Rosario over, you push Frazier out to right field if we don't get uh, Lee out there. So it's kind of like, I kind of like this idea of going after these grinder types that can play multiple positions. And then we're, we're starting to get creative. We're starting to really like mix and match our, you know, our, you know, lineup on a daily basis to, uh, to go against whoever, you know, we're playing. And uh, I think Frazier has been on enough good teams to know what it, what it takes to win and seems like a pretty stable guy overall. So, you know, why not add him as like one of our, our key vets here in the next two years. And uh, the only thing I'll say to Merrifield 
love Merrifield, man. Another Gamecock, another guy that I've seen play in college, but he is 35 years old. I mean, he's going into his age 35 season. So how many more good years does he have left? And when we're actually trying to contend, you know, can he actually be a part of that mix? Yeah. I mean, I do like the Frazier. Um, he, he, more lefty at bat as well. So, and as second baseman, premium position. Yeah. If he can get 10 homers, yeah, bat 240, 250, something like that, get on base 300, something like that. Perfect. That's exactly, I think, what we want for second base, uh, especially if this is a build up year. You know, we don't, we're not expecting him to have 30 homers or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Some combination like of that or, yeah, if there is a player out there that can play like second base or outfield, you know, that would be nice too. But obviously that's, you know, not easier said than done sometimes. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it, it is like, I don't think we can find like a young, obviously young second baseman that we just know is going to rock it like right off the bat there. Uh, but yeah, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, if we can get, I don't know, maybe it is like a filler and they're kind of like an Elvis Andrews, just younger basically. But yeah, hopefully a lefty at bat. Um, I don't know. Other names I'm looking at. I'm still looking at like Colton Wong. Like maybe he, mm-hmm. you know, can we do, can we just like get as much every single ounce of talent that he has, he has left? Obviously, he's kind of struggled. I think of recent years, but uh, has playoff pedigree. Uh, kind of has that gritty attitude that you want to build off a team from. Like you know, like I was mentioning before, culture setters. So if we can get that from a second baseman, then. That's great. So, but yeah, I think Adam Frazier would be great. Um, we'll see if he wants to stay though. I know I feel like they're building up some stuff over there with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, but at the same time, yeah, would love to have that kind of caliber player, I think, join the White Sox. But yeah, some some player that has a history of winning can and you know, actually hit a little bit too. That second base makes sense. For sure. And I do like that you threw out Colton Wong. He was on my short list of guys that I put down on paper because like you're saying, he's going to be free. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be maybe a million dollar contract right there. And he's, he's just a lottery ticket, you know? And, and what are you really asking for? Like we're talking about 240, 250 with 10 home runs and some good defense. And, you know, somebody who's been there and done it, he's had a lot of time with St. Louis and some in Milwaukee and even in Seattle where he struggled, but it's like, yeah, man, he's got that right, you know, character that I think, you know, you want to have some veterans in this younger clubhouse too. We need that balance. So, um, no, I think that's a great name. Um, moving down my line of needs here, we talked infield, we talked outfield a bit. Looking at catcher, um, there's a couple guys that really stand out, one in particular for me, but Victor Caratini, um, you know, 30 years old. I mean, last year batted 260 with a 700-plus OPS had seven bombs and uh, was pretty much a league average catcher, but age 30 season is a switch hitter. Um, you know, he's also been on playoff teams before, whether it's, you know, been with uh, the Cubs Padres, um, I think this past year with the Brewers, but I mean, he signed for $3 million for one year with the Brewers and had pretty much an average season for him. So you, you make him a year older or so, um, maybe had a little bit more pop this past season. Maybe he's asking for $5 million why not hook up with him on a three-year deal, two, three-year deal, lock down your catcher position for a couple of seasons, a guy who can play, you know, league average ball. And you know, somebody I think has a really good reputation around the league. Somebody who could be kind of that mentor once, uh, you know, Edgar Cuero is ready to go, or maybe Corey Lee has a, a bounce back here um, in terms of what he can do as a prospect. But 
yeah, I mean, he was one guy I'm looking at. Um, one guy who really has a huge name, but has fallen off the radar, but is actually statistically pretty amazing is Gary Sanchez. Um, Gary is also 30 years old. Um, he had 19 home runs last year, but what I thought was most impressive is he was the 27th ranked D war player in the game. Uh, 17 defensive runs saved on the year. Um, this guy's impressive. I mean, he's got the power. Obviously, the batting average is awful. The on-base is awful. But, like, it's catcher in today's day and age in baseball. It's 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 a pretty ugly position offensively. And, man, I mean, he's, he's definitely got the most war of any free agent catcher. It's just kind of like you hear the name and you instantly think, like, strikeouts, you know, bust. You know, he just he never capitalized on those 30 home run years. But, like, his last year with the Padres was pretty impressive. Um, I might still steer with you know, Carantini, but man, if Gary, if Gary Sanchez is basically asking for the same money, why not, man? Why not? Yeah. I, I love Sanchez. I love that pick. Um, you know, in all ball in our ballpark, like I can definitely see him, you know, if he pit, if he, uh, plays 130 games or something like that, he could probably hit 20 some odd, 30 some odd homers there. Yeah. Maybe he bats, you know, 200, you know, Adam Duns it a little bit, but I'll take that. If you mentioned Ed catcher, uh, if he can, you know, he, he does have presence. Like you mentioned, you, you threw up a lot of his defensive statistics and, you know, has a history of, you know, working with some pitching staff as well. And yeah, let's, let's do that. Like let's, let's utilize his veteran presence of, you know, being with, you know, he was with the Yankees with the twins, right? Like knows, different organizations and then yeah, I was at the Padres. Right. So yeah, would love a player like that or yeah, like Carantini as well. I think those are excellent players who've been around the league a little bit. Um, still have some talent there, like age 30. I think that's great from the, from the catcher perspective. And then, yeah, if, if we can, you know, utilize those players to help, you know, yeah, get uh, Corey Lee, you know, uh, be, be mentors towards them, you know, would love to see a like, Corey Lee, like resurgence, you know, if he's able to, you know, get 20 homers or something like that. Like that'd be a nice surprise. Right. I feel like, so getting that and then building up a rotation, you know, if we are able to get, you know, some of the young pitchers that we do have, right. Obviously, you know, sees he's kind of been our veteran presence there, but you know, if there's other players or other pitchers that we can get that, that, that we're bringing up, right. Like, I think that makes sense. And obviously the rest of our, the rest of our squad, I think needs that veteran presence. So, um, they would love to see a player like, Gary Sanchez or Victor Carantini there. Um, I know a name has been thrown around to is Mitch, Mitch Garver, but I, I don't think it necessarily makes sense for the White Sox at this point. Um, age 32 or soon to be 33, it looks like. So, but, you know, a player like that, just a veteran presence to kind of just install there. But, you know, I, I think, yeah, if, if we do see a team, like I'm just going to say like a yeah, Gary Sanchez there, catcher, um, Lee out there in, a, you know, right field or something or you know yeah like the corner outfield that'd be great like he can hit a little bit you know just get on base have decent speed here and there that's perfect you know good solid defense yeah second base you know like you mentioned like if we already get adam frazier or colton wong just like kind of a stopgap year you know we'll see what we can what else we can do there and then a yariel like uh, rodriguez i feel like something like that would be great from the from the pitcher standpoint young pitcher that we can build up for the next couple of years. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would, I would be like, okay with that. Um, and you know, as a build up year, but I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we just need more 
uh, from a free agency acquisition standpoint, I feel like, yeah, we need culture setters, just hard, hard working, you know, type of players that we want to build from. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the only other two names I wanted to throw out there, at least on the pitching side, two guys that I think will come at an extreme discount. We're talking like a million bucks a contract, but Dakota Hudson, who just got non-tendered by the Cardinals. Um, he had almost a five ERA last year, but still in his career is 38 and 20 with a 3.8 ERA. Um, I mean, he, he might be looking at like a $2 million deal, uh, just trying to get back on the right track. I mean, maybe we could gobble him up for two years if we want to get ambitious with three, um, maybe pushing it a little bit, but in the same sense, I mean, he's 29 years old. Um, he's, he's pitched up to 175 innings in the past, 140 this past season. So, um, you know, he might be interesting there. And then Penn Murphy uh, got non-tendered by the Seattle Mariners. After having a 1.29 ERA, um, he was a 2.70 career ERA as well out of the pen for the Mariners. Um, I mean, he himself, 30 years old. I'm thinking this guy could be like our discount setup man if Gregory Santos isn't available or has a tough time. Maybe he's pushing some closer duty here and there. But like there's some bargains around here if you just like look around the pages. And I think the trade that they just pulled for, you know, those guys in the Braves uh, and the Aaron Bummer deal, it's like they're going to be bringing a lot of guys to uh, training camp to compete. I just hope they they go after it in that sense and like really just bring in a large volume of these guys that are making minimum salary to $2 million a year and just have them go at it, see what see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking down the line here of like, you know, 20, like late 20s, you know, 30-year-old uh, veterans. Like I'm looking at, you know, Wade Miley or like a Zach Davies or even Jack Flaherty. Like, I don't know, you know, uh, players that had terrible years, previous years, but, you know, have a history of success or early success. And it's like, I don't know, if we can get a Mike Clevenger type of year, right, uh, you know, without the abuse, right? Like that, I feel like that, <laughs> that, that would be great. You know, if, uh, you know, have that bounce back. You have that Cody Bellinger type of year, right? Where you, you, you have a privilege kind of deal, you know, great. If you can, uh, you know, utilize this and leverage it as a way to get a next contract, whether it be through us or through another organization, right? I feel like there's just a lot of different players like that from the pitching rotation standpoint that we can get, yeah, like a one, maybe two year deal, uh, at a bargain discount rate, like, yeah, like Zach Davies or, you know, some of the players I mentioned there, Mike, Michael Renzen as well. Like, you know, he, I know he was a little bit of a, reliever slash uh, starting pitcher there. Like, I, I feel like we can use any type of player like that there. Um, if we are able to get a Zane Greinke, I know he has nothing left, but uh, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, he's a finesse pitcher. And I think, you know, it'd be nice to see a player like that, you know, help out some, again, some of our younger pitching staff. Right. Um, I get it. It's all about the development. I feel like we just need, and any player that we can get there, that'd be great if they can help out there. So, man, yeah, I mean, Granky's funny because it's like you may not get a lot, but imagine what he could potentially teach to, you know, that whole roster of pitchers. Like you were saying with the David Wells example, it's like that's another great guy to kind of model your game after. But uh, I had Lorenzen on my list here too. Um, MLBTR has him going for two years, $22 million. They have Giolito going for two years, 44. And Lorenzen <laughs> had better numbers across the board last year and for his career. So it's like, you just got to find that kind of stuff. It's like, 
I wouldn't be against them bringing back Giolito if it's the right price for maybe a year or two, but it's like, you know, if that's what it's going to cost to get Gio, like go ahead and go get Lorenzen because he's going to be a way better value um, in my opinion. No, for sure. Lorenzen totally makes sense. I think again, like we, we can bargain hunt. I think we've talked about it before. It's like, if we want to be bargain hunters, let's be bargain hunters and let's play it like it is. But yeah, just, you know, throwing a, Big contracts to players that don't make sense. Exactly. That's kind of what we're trying to avoid here. Um, so, yeah, Lorenzen, you know, be great if we can have a player like him. Uh, I don't know, is Cueto still around or ticking? Like, you know, players like that, I think, again, culture setters, we can, uh, to help build up, you know, be good examples, I think, for the our uh, younger pitching staff, right? I think is what we're trying to shoot for. So, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens this winter. Um, we are already hearing rumors of Dylan Cease, Eloy Jimenez, guys who like mm-hmm. could be the next ones being traded. So um, may shake up our boards a little bit as we go along. Maybe uh, you know at some point down the line here this winter, we we come back and and talk about mm-hmm. what's happened and what more we want to see because in most of these years too, like this free agent period can take a very very long time to yeah. completely play out. But uh, yeah, definitely yeah. excited for it. Yeah, I mean, do you think we ought to be moving on from Cease? Like, that's that's the fun question, right? Because uh, I think we have him for, uh, I think, until 2025, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, we can definitely get him probably for some decent prospects. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Is there a team you think we ought to be trading for or eyeing for for, you know, some of their prospects? Uh, or, you know, do you think we ought to just kind of sit back and be like, all right, let's actually retain some of, you know, pretty decent talent that we're, that we, you know, we do have, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a yes. I mean, it's a yes. Um, not because I don't like the player that is Dylan Cease. I think he's a good, you know, SB2, SB3 in your rotation. Um, this year he's probably making, you know, 8.3 to $8.5 million in arbitration. Um, his second to last year with us before he hits free agency, he's a Boris client. We're not going to be matching whatever contract he's asking for if he's still relevant you know in a couple of years so for me uh the clock is ticking you know the clock is ticking on the value you can get for this guy um given where the contracts have been for you know Aaron Nola what it might be for other pitchers I mean Dylan Cease coming in at eight million dollars this year is an amazing discount it's an amazing value so if you got two more years of control of that um man you know for any team that needs another playoff starter i mean he's for sure up for grabs again like we're talking about we're not fooled by the 2024 uh competitive window um 2025 for me is kind of like a best case scenario in terms of like when we'd actually be vying for playoffs but i think the important thing is kind of looking around finding those teams and you know i've heard the orioles i've heard the dodgers um based on the amount of prospect depth that they actually have we could be looking at the Rangers or something like that, but with whatever we get back, we're going to have to get some pitching depth, I think, number one. And then, you know, if they want to throw in like a good um, offensive player as well, that'd be amazing. I, I think the Dodgers probably have the upper hand there because they've got guys like Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan. They've got Gavin Stone, Michael Grove. They've got some guys there uh, that could be, you know, depth pieces for us in the future uh, in our rotation. And they've also got some catching depth in their high minors. So um, the Dodgers seem to make the most sense. They've been in those uh, 
you know, those, those rumor mills and stuff. But uh, I've also heard the Astros are trying to make a play. So we'll just have to see, man. But um, yeah, if, if you were asking me, would I trade Dylan Cease? I, I think this year, whether it's off season or the trade deadline, we're probably going to be moving him. Yeah, because we can definitely leverage uh, his, yeah, his years, right? Uh, you know, uh, his con- his current contract as a way to get acquired top level talents, similar to how, you know, we were able to get uh, a, a haul, right, for for Chris Sale, right, in the past, so or even Cantana, so. Yeah, using you utilizing that as leverage, I think makes the most sense. So yeah, I think I don't think he I don't think he survives uh, the end of the year. Uh, I think we are able to move on from him probably from the by the trade deadline. In my opinion, I think uh, I think gets you know I think this Bear, Aaron Bummer trade. It seems like he's kind of setting the message a little bit of like okay, yeah, we're we're we're, we're going to try to get younger and get some players that we think uh, you know could be building blocks or something like that for us in the future. So, um, and then, yeah, Tim Anderson too, moving on from him. Uh, <laughs> he was kind of like our culture, right. For the past several years. And now he's not going to be part of this club anymore. So yeah, it's going to be a whole new regime. I feel like that he's going to be trying to building off from here. So yeah, don't see him. Uh, uh, I don't see don't see being with the white Sox for too long. And, uh, yeah, I, I have been hearing about the Dodgers. I think, yeah, they, they just have a lot of talent. <laughs> they have a lot of talent. <laughs> and they need pitching, so it makes sense, yeah. Yeah. How about when we're talking about culture, because I think the Tim Anderson point's pretty important. I'm I'm actually glad they're they're moving on. I really hope he finds another home. And, hey, for himself, like, get some success. Like, go have some new success somewhere else. But I feel like, yeah, there's some guys who just maybe took advantage of that situation of being – you know, paid and, and kind of young, uh, you know, maybe got too much too early and let it get to their heads in some, some senses, but this clubhouse needs a change. I mean, I guess on that note, I was going to ask you, like, what do you think about, you know, Mankata making 25 million and Eloy making around 14 million this upcoming year? And, you know, if you were running the show, I mean, what, what would you, what would you do with one or both of those guys? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Moncada, he's he's he stayed his he stayed he stayed the his length of time that the maximum length of time that he he ought to do right now. I, I think I would move on from Moncada probably as soon as possible. Um, I mean, he like hits here and there. Like he's he's not completely terrible or or useless. That being said, he hasn't lived up to I think the hype that we've kind of all expected to as much. Uh, you know, did have that thirty homer season and such, but. You know, obviously he's much more of a DH, uh, and it's like I don't know for a player that's basically you know uh, seen just strictly as a DH hasn't even been that that healthy at for a DH person. So I don't know. There's just a lot of question marks like that. Just it doesn't make as much sense. So, but Mancada, I would like to see us move on from. Um, you know, for a honestly, I would like to have seen him maybe more so for second base, right? I think. You know, the offensive value that he brings doesn't make sense for third base. But for second base, makes a ton of sense. You know, if he is able to hit, you know, 15, 18 homers, bat 240, 250, great. Do that at second base, right? You know, slim down a little bit uh, and, uh, you know, be a switch hitter for, from the second base uh, side, which you've, you've had some experience for. But I get it. They, you know, he's definitely a, a wider frame and they probably want to, you know, utilize him on that, you know, corner outfield position a little bit more. 
But yeah, if he were to be, you know, in second base, man, and, and kind of trim down there, great. But I just don't think that's going to happen. And then, yeah, build like, you know, maybe we do, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know if Colson Montgomery, if he is the long-term answer at shortstop, but we'd love to have that flexibility, right? It's like, hey, maybe we want to move him to third base, right? And then get like, a, you know, Rosario, I'm a Rosario or something like that on the shortstop side or, you know, another defensive, some sort of defensive minus shortstop, I think it makes sense there. But something like that, you know, just to give us some flexibility. And but I, I, I definitely don't see Mankata here for too long. Uh, don't mind Eloy, but uh, Mankata, I feel like, yeah, he's just been detrimental to the club, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think, again, he's part of that culture. And um, I, th- I think he plays pretty lazy in terms of what he could actually bring to a team to the game. I think he's still a pretty great defender over there at third base. I think one thing that was, I guess, not really floated out in a lot of the outlets that I've been listening to on the White Sox or baseball mm-hmm. in general, but like this idea of maybe attaching his contract to a cease trade. I mean, maybe you look at a contender and you say, hey, you got one year, $25 million from Ankata. Uh, You want Dylan Cease? You got to take both in the package. Uh, so in return, maybe we take a bad contract too, but in the same sense, like maybe we take a little bit less prospect depth, you know, still getting probably some, some blue chippers in there, but like in the same sense, like maybe freeing up some of the books there, at least for one year, um, might be interesting if we have another guy in mind, more likely scenario, we just eat it with Johan at third, hopefully get the most out of him that we can and trade him at the deadline for Eloy. You know, we got three more years of it. I think for me, I've, I've heard his name in the rumor mill. Um, I obviously think he's a much better talent than Yoan, but in the same sense, it's like he's kind of got his own attitude about wanting to play the outfield and consistently being injured and consistently putting up okay numbers, but not over the course of 162 game season. So we always get, you know, kind of cut short on what he can truly be. But um, yeah, I mean, if he's on our team, I think that's okay as long as he's willing to play DH. Uh, permanently and uh you know if he's not then hey opening up that dh spot to whoever wants to play there uh and just getting more athletic maybe turning eloy into another athlete that can play all over the diamond or in the outfield or wherever you really need him and then you know maybe it's vaughn one day gavin sheets another maybe it's mancata here and there robert whatever you gotta Mm -hmm. do you know yeah are there are there any players that you think at this point are off the table for trading off the table for me, um, I mean, no, 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 because I mean, even if it's Robert, you know, like Robert's probably the most, the most sure thing that we have on this team in terms of talent, contract, uh, age, upside, you name it. But even Robert's had some, some, some hiccups along the way. He's not been like the Robert we saw in 23 for the last four years. I mean, he was great in 2020 in the shortened year in his rookie year, but was, was kind of injured or, you know, not really living up to his own standards in the prior two years. So he's not bulletproof by any means. And like, again, if people are looking at Luis Robert, who's got one of the most desirable contracts of any all-star in the game, man, we could get something incredibly serious for him. I mean, imagine a cease Robert deal, what that might look like uh, if both those guys were to go in the same package. I mean, we may as well take the Dodgers entire, you know, farm <laughs> system, you know? So, yeah. I don't know if it'll actually happen, but 
you know, I don't, I don't have any, um, I don't have any soft spots, man. I mean, if we were winning baseball games and this was the the Sox of the 2000s, the early 2000s, I'd have felt like shit if we <laughs> traded Paul Canerico or Joe Creedy or AJ Pierzynski or Scott Podsednik in the day or whatever else it would. Like, I remember the Aaron Rowan trade and feeling like a little hurt, even though we were bringing over Jim Tomey. Um, these days, it's like I'm so spiteful towards our team, our organization that Hey man, whatever, whatever it's going to take to make us better, um, and make us a consistent winner or, you know, serious contenders, like sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost there. Yeah. I, I do (laughs) like Luis Robert and, and Andrew Vaughn, the rest, I would not be Mm -hmm. sad or feel bad if they're gone. Um, I, I did, it was one of those things. It was similar to the whole Jake Berger thing in a way. And I did kind of like the haul that we got from Jake Berger. <laughs> that being said, you know, I do want to have some continuity, right. Of building up players and developing them, you know, obviously with some formidable veterans around them, but we would love to see some carryover from Luis Robert. Like hopefully he's able to play with the white Sox and maintain, you know, his level of excellence that he had this previous year on, you know, the future, like at least, you know, maybe five, five or more seasons, right. that would be great. And then he can, showcase and, and mentor, you know, some other uh, players, younger talent as they go on, like, you know, Colson Montgomery or, uh, you know, other Cuban players that kind of, that were able to sign, right? I feel like that would be great to have him and then have Andrew Vaughn too. Because uh, I like the way that Andrew Vaughn plays, at least, you know, is he the mm-hmm. perfect player or, you know, is he a, a, an all-star, like first baseman even? Like not, not necessarily, it's not right now, but, you know, uh, like the way he plays, plays hard, and, you know, kind of gives the A-level effort that, you, you, that we do seek for. And, you know, I, I think that's essential. So, I don't know. Those players, I definitely like to keep. Everybody else, yeah. Uh, you know, it's what well, we, we have you for right now. Maybe not for the long haul, but, you know, we'd love to see if we can build some continuity from here. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like those two players would. Like, I, 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 I like those guys. The rest, to hell. Like, let's just. Yeah, if we, if we if we can get as many of the Dodgers prospects, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there, and uh, totally agree with Andrew Vaughn. I think he gets dogged way too much for where he's at in his own development. I mean, this guy played zero minor league innings, zero minor league innings, was brought straight <laughs> to the majors. I mean, in three years, his average about 20 homers, 70 RBIs, and he's batting 260 with a you know north of 300 OBP. You know, he's got good pop. I mean. I think this next year is going to be somewhat of a breakout for him because highly touted hitter out of college, one of the, you know, I think he was crowned the best hitter, you know, uh, in his last year of college. Um, I mean, to me, he, he, he was everything that I wanted in that draft pick when we took him. And I just think people need to be a little bit more realistic with him as he's going into his age 26 year. And has honestly put together a pretty, you know, decent sample so far. It's just like, we actually think back and remember to Paul Canerco going through his first few years as a major leaguer and even some of the really big struggles he had with the White Sox. I mean, we stuck with him. I remember a lot of people were, you know, begrudgingly like, oh, another year Paul Canerco. And then sooner or later, I mean, he's he's in the 400 home run club, winning a World Series, being everything you want year in, year out as a leader and as a player. So I think Vaughn's going to step into those shoes at some point soon here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I think those two, great. If we can build off, get some continuity, get some continuity. But 
yeah, Cease, I feel like we can move off from any of the rest of the players. Like, let's let's see what, how much we can get from them, I feel like. so. For sure. Well, I think with that, uh, pretty good overview of the Chicago White Sox going into 2024. Uh, Wayne, did you want to end it off with any sort of final thought here? I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like uh, holiday movies, right? And I don't know. I, I've 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 had a lot of conversations about what constitute a holiday movie or not. Um, I think the biggest question, and there's no right or wrong answer, but maybe there is. Um, curious, Pat, is Die Hard a holiday movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not in the traditional sense of it. I mean, I watch Die Hard, and obviously, it's like you know, the theme of it is like on Christmas day, all stuff happens, like all the action, everything going on that high rise, uh, work building and stuff. Um, I enjoyed Die Hard. I thought that was like a lot of fun to watch. And I'll be honest with you. I, I watched it for the first time, maybe, uh, two years ago or something, but thought it was really enjoyable. And I think it's okay. As long as it's, fe- you know, featuring some Christmas elements, like it counts as a Christmas movie to me, even if it's not in your face, mm-hmm. Santa Claus type stuff. Yeah, I think there's like some, I think Christmas movies, they, they have to have like some sort of like redemption or something like that, or a feel good moment, right? So yeah, amongst the killing and all that, yeah, I think there was some feel good moments in there. Uh, and, a, you know, a nice hippie cahier or whatever. So um, I, I think initially, I did not feel like it was. But the more I've talked about it, I've slowly, begrudgingly like, okay, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, does it make total sense? No, but I'll give it to you. But yeah, I don't know. I've had different conversations about it, and it's it, to your point. It's not traditionally a, a holiday movie, but at the same time, you know, Bruce Willis, some action. Like, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a fun one. Um, I'll be honest, I've got a lot of like '80s, '90s action movies that I still haven't seen. That just, I just need to watch all these movies, man. Like, I can't even get in. I mean, Alien, Predator, Lethal Weapons. Mm. Uh, there's just a lot on my list, man. That it, like, if you've got more, like, throw them on me. But yeah, I've, I definitely have this big hole in my, you know, action movie uh, list from from the old days. That every time I watch one, too, every time it's like Harrison Ford or you know, Bruce Willis or any of these guys, it's like, they're all, they're all great, man. They're all great. I just don't have the full running list, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Hey, those are, those are great ones. You just mentioned any of the lethal, lethal weapons. Uh, you know, if you want some comedy, like, uh, was it, um, like naked gun, I think is a fun one too. So <laughs> yeah. if you wanted a good laugh, uh, as well, but yeah, I know I just thought of that and yeah, hopefully, uh, I'll probably be watching more of that and just, Writing down some notes, like okay, that's a holiday element. That's a holiday element. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude. But I'm I'm kind of with you on the seasonal movies. Like I, I missed I missed all the Halloween flicks that mm. I usually watch with my wife. Like we usually like we'll go through like five to ten horror movies leading up to Halloween, which is always like a lot of fun for me. Watch yeah. zero this year. Um, hopefully it changes a little bit with Christmas because I got some of my favorites. That I can always you know get lined up. Yeah. What, 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 what is your go-to, uh, uh, horror movie usually on Halloween? Man, that is tough, man. Oh man. You just put me on the spot. I mean, I love the Halloween set. I like, I like, I love all those Halloweens. They're all very like cliche at this point, very like formulaic. You kind of know what you're going to get, but 
I think Michael Myers just put me in a certain spot when I was younger where I was kind of like, all right, this guy is, he's just, I mean, just like the perfect stalker in any movie. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I mean, we, we did like the whole Nightmare on Elm Street said we did the whole all the saws i saw like watch like 10 mm -hmm. of those you know saw movies which are pretty pretty brutal and then like just little ones here and there like uh the exorcist the Sh you know shining things like that so there's a lot of great ones you can get into the ring in more mm -hmm. recent years but man i don't know you got you got any favorite like holiday movies for halloween or christmas hocus pocus definitely i watched that thing like like at least a dozen times, Hocus Pocus, uh, Prime, <laughs> uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, and everything too. So definitely go check it out. Uh, if you get Disney Plus, it's probably on there. So yeah, always like that. Um, then yeah, like Halloween Town, that was always a fun one too. Uh, a little bit more kiddish, or you know, not as bloody. Uh, the, the bloody ones. Uh, the one I liked, or I had the best memories of, was Scream actually. Cause I would watch it with my, with my mom and my mama, my mom would just like would freak out. And I'm like, this is hysterical that she's like, you know, like, Oh, and I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I guess I'm just a senile teenager who's seen so many people get stabbed or, you know, decapitations <laughs> in my lifetime that I, I was not affected by it, but to see my mom, like almost cry, like it, it, it's, it was awesome. So I had nice, nice moments there with uh, watching scream with her. Cause it would just be her like, oh, and all that as like, uh, you know, the, the, the ghost face person would come out of the closet, right? Like that kind of thing was just, was, was always fun there. No, oh, totally down for screams. I know what you did last summer. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, man, for sure. Left those off the list. One kid's movie that, that now you brought up Hocus Pocus that used to give me the chills when I was a kid watching it is, uh, The Witches by, uh, Roald Dahl. Um, mm. they adapted it into a couple of movies. They've got one from. I believe the early nineties. And then they made a remake uh, recently with uh, Anne Hathaway who did mm. actually a pretty good job in it. But uh, when I was a kid, that stuff used to freak me out, man. Cause like kids playing up in his tree house and like the witch is walking down the street with purple eyes and this guy, his grandma like gave him all the cues to how to look out for a witch and stuff. And man, those witches, they were trying to like turn these kids into rats, you know? So like, I don't know, just like, that whole scene like gave me the chills when I was a kid and I like had to kind of turn it off cause I couldn't watch it when I was like seven or eight or something. But even as an adult, it like makes me flashback and, uh, man, it's a, it's a good movie. Like if you haven't seen the witches from like the early nineties, man, it's really good. Yeah. One other movie oh. was, uh, arachnophobia actually. Uh, I mean, I don't like spiders. I probably have a little bit of arachnophobia, but it is just so awesome seeing like, uh, a spider that can just kill like with one bite uh, to this day, you know, I'll sometimes you know, when I, when I see the slippers uh, kind of just sitting there out in the open, I'll get a, I'll get a little bit tingle, a little bit of a tingle feeling. Cause I think there's a spider in my slippers that's just ready to bite my toe and then poison me to death. So what I sometimes do is I'll step on the top of the slipper, just like, you know, if there was a spider hiding in there, it would just smush the, the spider. So I've been doing that a little bit, uh, you know, preemptively just to make sure, uh, you know, got to double tap and see if there's a spider in there and make sure that, you know, n nothing's there to poison me or, you know, kill me uh, with one bite there. But yeah, arachnophobia, got to check it out. Jeff Daniels, uh, not, not as funny in this movie, but yeah, still, still pretty good. 
Sounds good, man. Yeah, I'll check that out. Um, yeah, man. I guess for my final thought, um, we normally cover food, so I had one ready, um, you know, just to go here. But man, I've heard about this place before, and it was like the first time that I actually got it last Friday. But just getting out from a workout, and I've been trying to just get more protein and have less filler, whether it's like the bread or you know sauces or uh, you know just something like. I don't know, double fried or whatever else. So like a after getting this workout done, I went across the street to this big, you know, strip mall and actually found a restaurant that I was, you know, hearing about and, and wanting to try out, but it's called Quickway. Um, I don't know if Quickway exists uh, around Chicago, but at least in uh, the DC, Virginia area, there's a lot of them, but it's basically a fast casual for Japanese hibachi. And uh, you basically get, you know, two to three proteins. If you want, I got, uh, a chicken beef, uh, double protein bowl with, uh, fried rice and, uh, mixed vegetables. I mean, this thing was loaded. It was like probably two pounds worth of food when I first got it. And I got extra chicken. Um, I got food for me and my wife and the bill was less than $30 to go. And like, I walked, I walked out of there, like quality was there. I mean, it was probably just as good as going and sitting down and eating at the flat top. And like, when I just thought about it, I was like, man, every time I go get hibachi, it's literally like a hundred bucks plus on the, on the, on the ticket, you know? And I just walked away with the same thing for 30 bucks total. And I was like smiling ear to ear and like this, this was like hot. It was loaded with meat. Like I didn't get shortchanged whatsoever. Came with the yum yum sauce, soy sauce, all that stuff on the side. Like I got some shiracha in a cup as well. There, it was just like, just just dancing with flavors, man. I was just playing around with some chicken, beef, vegetables, rice. Like, it was amazing. So I know we've talked Japanese and we've talked hibachi, but what do you think of all that, man? Like that concept, uh, you know. And then you know, quick way, whether or not you have it, or is there some sort of comp in your area? Yeah, quick way. I mean, like a nice, like quick service hibachi. I'm not too sure. I mean, there probably is. I'm just not aware of it. But um, I do remember, at least in Seattle, it was a, it was a nice lunch spot, like underground uh, in like a downtown Seattle. I forget what it was called exactly, but it was like a Korean. It was like a Korean owned uh, family uh, like buffet area where they just had. They basically gave you a box, and if you return the box, you get a dollar off or whatever. But uh, you, you fit in as much materials like Korean food as you can in this little box container uh, of like plasticware, and you know, like it was, it would always be uh, like ten bucks, like ten, ten, ten to twelve bucks or something like that. Uh, but yeah, you just pile on like as much bulgogi or rice or whatever it is you want on there uh, in one box, and then that's it. And yeah, you get a dollar off every single time you bring that box again. So yeah, it was nice. It was nice. And hopefully, I don't know if it's still around or not. Obviously, there's been a lot of you know, downtown restructurings and, you know, restaurants kind of just leaving the downtown areas. But that was a nice thing on there. Um, one other, uh, as you were talking about that, it kind of like sparked in me there, you know, if you've ever heard of X-Pot, but it's like, you know, high end, uh, uh, like high end, I guess, uh, you know, uh, uh, hot pot, essentially. Um, but then you, it also has like Wagyu beef and things like that as well um like all you can eat type of style just like in a very obviously like you know high-end decor um there's some places in vegas there's a place in sh chicago now 
Um, but the idea or concept is you can actually buy memberships. So you can pay like, I think it's, and it's not that expensive. Like you can buy a $20 membership. It's kind of like Costco, right? It's like you buy into the $20 membership and you can get like free upgrades on like Wagyu or something. So uh, yeah, like things like that. And it kind of like, incent and I think you get like a free guest or something like on your birthday, um, you know, definitely go check out the website. Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't come at me for, you know, misinform misinformation or whatever, but yeah, a lot of good, you know, a pretty good deal. I feel like it's like now, you know, I think everybody just likes being part of a membership club or something, whether it's, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, I have Netflix or I got, you know, uh, they're trying to make uh, Ver your Verizon bill is like a membership and they're trying to add different, you know, tiers or different things there. Like, oh, let's, let's plug in that Verizon membership and you also get a Disney plus channel or, or something like that. Like everything is being piled on, but I don't know. That would be kind of nice. It's like, oh yeah, you're, you're I, I know you're paying like your gas bill or something like that with us, but here's a free membership to, you know, uh, this X pod or this, you know, nice restaurant. And then, yeah, you can get discounts here and there. Right. I, I, th I think that's the new wave that's coming about is, you know, how can I save some bucks? Maybe I am, but I'll get a membership or yeah, pay 20 bucks here. And now I can do all you can eat. And, you know, uh, I think it's like, it's so expensive. It's like 80 bucks, all you can eat or whatever. But, you know, if you get like some good, good hot pot or some good, like Wagyu, like, I think that really goes a far way there, you know? No, definitely. I mean, everything you're just talking about with, uh, you know, the ability to load up on food at a reasonable price. I mean, give me that, man. Anywhere you want to just give me a, 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 like a takeaway carton and I can just fill up whatever I want, however much I want and not have to spend too much. Like I'm all for that. Sounds pretty awesome. Um, I look for a quick way. There's not one 50 miles around Chicago, but there is one in St. Louis. So if you do happen to go to St. Louis, go check, go check out a quick way or get some barbecue. Yeah. Where <laughs> yeah. whenever you're back in DC, uh, we'll go get some quick way or something like that. But uh, no, it sounds sounds pretty good, um, man. Yeah, hungry again here as we kind of near midnight. Uh, so I'll try to restrain myself um, going in the night. But I'd also throw out there that like even in Andersonville, around Chicago, when I was obviously living out there in the 2010s and stuff. But um, a lot of great pho places that just. I mean, really hit the spot for a really good price too. Like just these small mom and pop diners. I felt like in Andersonville, um, we used to always get pho um, over there, big bowls in the winter time and stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, man, um, I'm all about it. Uh, yeah, man, that's pretty much it. So, uh, you know, folks, if you're still with us, uh, subscribe, um, like, give us some comments on any of the food that you've just heard. I mean, we've obviously covered a ton of baseball, so feel free to, you know, rewind back and give us your hot takes in the comment section. Uh, find us on uh, Instagram at Ball and Breakfast, and then also on our podcast channels as well, uh, just for audio. But uh, I guess with Wayne, I'm Patrick signing off for the Ball and Breakfast podcast.